Thank you for joining us on this episode of AACS Today. It is a pleasure to have you with us as today we are discussing uh, another legislative update with our favorite co-host, Jameson Coppola, our legislative director for AACS. Jameson, welcome back to the podcast. Nice to have you. Hey, good to be here, Matt. Thanks for uh, hosting the podcast. Yeah, we're looking forward uh, to a great episode. We want to provide in today's episode uh, an update um, about what's happening with the CARES Act. I know many of our ministries have seen some some advancements with that this past week specifically. And so we want to give a little bit of an update about that. But Jameson, I think it would be good for us before we kind of dive into the CARES Act to talk a little bit uh, about the legislative office just briefly. So just in, in a in a quick kind of nutshell, um, tell us what exactly does the legislative office do? Yeah, when I hear you say that, Matt, it, it takes me back to school administrator days. And you and I were both school administrators, and I'm sure many other administrators will um, understand this question. And it was the question, so what do you do during the summer, you nothing, know, about, nothing. Yeah, <laughs> about this time of year, you you got that question from, you know, inquiring minds wanted to know parents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, sometimes I think, well, I get ready for your children, pleasant as they are to be <laughs> back with me in the fall. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, yeah. Summer was sometimes a busier season than the school year. Yeah, and our, our, our admins can identify with that, and I'm sure they get that question for sure. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so maybe that's a little bit of a set-you-up-there question. We know yeah. that you guys are hard at work, so t- but seriously, yeah. though, tell, us, tell us a little bit about what the, uh, what the office does. Yeah, so we get that question quite a bit, and it, I enjoy answering it because it helps us deepen, uh, I hope, an understanding of the important emphasis the American Association of Christian Schools has placed on legislative outreach. I tell people, you know, at the very start of the association, in fact, one of the founding um, driving forces for the American Association of Christian Schools were the, 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 was the recognition that there needed to be some sort of federal oversight. So much of what was impacting education in the United States was happening at the federal level was moving from states to federal. So, you know, we're an organization of state associations. So each state um, functions autonomously to some degree and takes care of regulation and legislation on the state level. But then we come together um, in the American Association of Christian Schools. And one of the things we do federally is federal engagement. So we really um, are working in D.C., and if I had to summarize it, I'd say something like this, to monitor legislative and regulatory efforts. So much of what um, impacts us, affects us now, happens in the regulatory um, area. So we monitor those legislative and regulatory efforts that affect our schools so that when those um, bills and um, regulations are formed, their design and implementation and those are two important things, the way they're written and the way they're carried out. Don't infringe on our educational or religious freedoms. And because there are really hundreds and maybe even more issues at play, 
we limit our work in DC to issues that have either educational, family, or life aspects. Mm-hmm. And we approach those, those things from a conservative philosophy, political philosophy, that is a constitutionalist and, and even have to further define that these days. You have to define that as, you know, we, we believe in the literal words of the constitution as they were originally intended. So and a verbal, a verbal, a verbal plenary thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. We, we have to be specific with our language because we find we're using the same words as other people, but we mean right. something entirely different. And that's a problem. <laughs> Yeah, especially in politics, because politics is supposed to, uh, you know, be the pinnacle of using language in order to uh, shape policy or or give policy form. So um, in order to achieve that oversight, we participate in coalition meetings with similarly minded organizations. And I, I hearken back to in the founding of our country, there were the committees of correspondence. If you've studied American history, you probably learned about them. And they were um, activities within the states that helped share information about what was happening related to um, eventually the abuses of power that were happening with the British um, monarchy and and parliament. And so that's really what these meetings do. They're information sharing. And uh, one of my peers described our work recently on the CARES Act. We're going to talk about the CARES Act today. And uh, the last few weeks, that's been first and foremost for us. And I love the way he expressed it. He expressed it this way. He said, we've organized into ad hoc multi-faith action group composed of religious freedom advocates, church state scholars, and government affairs experts. And then uh, I I giggled and just said, and I was there too. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's quite a description. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but but I think it's accurate. This gentleman that framed it this way worked in the Bush White House in the Office of Faith-Based Initiatives. So he's a longtime religious liberty advocate um, and has worked in politics for a long time. And and he described our efforts this way. He said there's been a three-way effort, one, helping um, each person in this ad hoc um, action group to understand the religious freedom consequences to institutions – of the proposed and adapted adopted statutory and regulatory language, the guidance documents, the application forms, et cetera. So that was the first goal. Two, we had to decide which changes were most urgently needed in the legislation. And then we had to determine how and with whom to advocate. And then the, the last part, the action item, was finding uh, diverse ways to reach out to um, uh, legislators on Capitol Hill, and then, of course, the uh, regulatory agencies, the federal agencies, as well as the White House. So that that's the complete definition of, you know, taking our perspective in education and religious liberty and trying to turn it into actionable items, communicating both internally with these other people that have religious liberty and institutional religious liberty concerns and then turning that into something that helps shape and craft the law and the regulations as they're formed. So here, yeah. So here's the bottom line. Then you all, your team there in DC, is making sure our schools are protected, and making sure really that our voice is heard on really essential policy issues. I mean, and, and we've seen how that's important over 
and over and over again. And, and the most recent example of that is when we come to the CARES Act, which you just mentioned. Uh, so let's, uh, let's recap a little bit of just what the CARES Act does, where we're at right now with this piece of legislation. Yeah, we've talked a couple of times about uh, the CARES Act and the CARES Act was phase three. Sometimes people will break it up into three phases. It's the third phase of legislation that was a response to the COVID-19 uh, crisis. And it, it really is probably the, the largest piece. Certainly it is in terms of dollars so far. And its purpose was to provide significant financial help to small businesses that have been struggling with the stay-at-home orders. Um, I don't, I, I don't remember what the current unemployment numbers are, but we're upwards um, of of multiple millions of people unemployed because their place of business has been shut down for the last three over three weeks. I want to say it was over twenty million. Yeah, I think that's correct. It's been about average uh, over six million a week, and right. I think it's been about three weeks. So um, the CARES Act provides three things that we think are – I'm sorry, four things that are of most interest to our people. It provides – I think it's over 800 pages long. But there are three programs really in it that are of most um, interest to our people, and that was the Small Business Administration Paycheck Protection Provision. Um, that also includes an emergency injury disaster relief loan. And then it expanded unemployment – uh, benefits within the states. Some of those are direct to employees. Some of those benefits are to um, nonprofit organizations that um, self-insure for the purposes of unemployment. And then um, included in that was an above the line, and that's a, a term that just means you can take this charitable deduction above the line in addition to the standard deduction in your tax return. Uh, um, an addition of a charitable deduction, even if you don't itemize your taxes. And then lastly, um, um, some education-specific funds, the governor's education funds, which are funds given directly from the federal government through the Department of Ed to governors to help with the, edu the crisis and, and kids not being able to go to school. And then also what are called expanded uh, equitable services. So for, for areas or segments of the CARES Act of most concern to our people. Yeah. And have you um, heard or do you know what the above the line charitable deduction, uh, is that for your 2019 taxes or would that go on your 2020 taxes? It is. It's, it's only a year and um, I believe it can go on either your 19 or 20. And you're familiar with like filing dates and, and right. end of year and fiscal year. And so I think that technically speaking, you'll be able to claim it either on 2019 or 2020, okay. depending on how you um, calculate your taxable year. And when it comes to the governor's education fund, that's going to be distributed as equitable services are like, like title monies are. Some of our schools might not participate in those title funds, uh, but if they've never participated in anything like that before, uh, are they able to participate with these expanded equitable services? Yeah, they should. Um, th we've encouraged people to, to contact their governor's office and their local education authority, LEA. And that was the person that would have reached out to you in uh, the fall of last year 
to talk to you about equitable services. Um, every LEA is required by federal law to provide uh, what is called meaningful consultation to the private school community about what federal funds might be available to help um, teachers and students. They're not direct to private schools. They are direct to programs that help students and teachers. And so we've encouraged you to reach out. The, the governor's fund, I think, is a discretionary fund that governors can spend. And um, we're not sure of all the implications of how that will um, be used in the states. I saw this week that the secretary encouraged She's not mandating because she's uh, trying to impl- um, tr- trying to follow principles of federalism. Let right. the states decide what's best for them. Um, but she has suggested to governors that it be used to help uh, distance learning. I don't know if you saw the USA Today article yesterday, but they they mentioned how quickly private schools have adapted to this crisis, and they um, also mentioned that. Uh, technology was a uh, roadblock to some of the less uh, financially um, provided for students, families, families that are lower income. And so I think one of the purposes in the governor's fund is to provide funds for kids to be able to get online, to have an online device in order to continue at-home education. Yeah, speaking of articles being published... Uh, we were able to see an article that was published in the Daily Signal by you and by Hannah, which was which was very good. Um, just briefly tell us, how did that opportunity come along to participate in that? Yeah, well, I'll circle back on a few things. First of all, thank you. It was it was fun to share some good news about what was happening in education. And um, Hannah, in our office, did a lot of the the groundwork and the research and finding the stories that we were able to share. And then she and I worked together on uh, putting it into the the form, the article that you saw there. Yeah. And that goes back to a little bit about what you talked about earlier, which was you're involved in these uh, different meetings and opportunities like this pop up because of the relationships that you're building, which underscores the importance of what you're doing there. So that's good. Good, good, good. Let me circle back though to what we were discussing before I got us off on that. And so let's go back to the paycheck protection program. We've heard that it's out of funds. So what can you tell us about efforts to increase funding for that? Yeah. um, I think that if you have not yet applied, it's probably, you're you're probably going to get an answer from your local lender, your local SBA lender that the original uh, funding for that, um, approximately $350 billion, is, has been accounted for. It's all used up. And so for the last week or more, probably, uh, the ink was hardly dry. Let me put it this way. The ink was hardly dry in the first funding before Congress realized more was going to be needed. And efforts began immediately to... Um, do what is being called in D.C. plus up the paycheck protection provision. Uh, it's a very biggie size it, man. Biggie size it. Biggie size it. That's right. Super <laughs> size it. Plus it up. And so uh, that that effort's underway, um, but it's been bogged down with political infighting. Um, as far as we can tell, the, the the battle lines are the Republicans want just a simple plus up of the paycheck protection program. 
in DC. They sometimes they call it a clean bill. <laughs> Does that exist? I, I don't know. <laughs> still, still working that out. <laughs> they call it a clean bill, but the the Democrats and and they want it just to go back into that program, the Small Business Administration uh, Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, but the Democrats are demanding funding for other things, like right. and, and not bad things, hospitals and um, workers that have had that have been deemed essential and have had to work in maybe some challenging um, conditions. Um, and they want money for for those workers and for those organizations. And, and the funny thing is, you know, Republicans are not opposed to those people. And the Democrats aren't opposed to the SBA, but there's just politics at play. Right. So the the Senate went home yesterday without any legislation. They're meeting in pro forma sessions. You might have heard the news that the president has at least considered using um, a never-before-used constitutional provision to um, – uh, send, send Congress home officially. So, but they're meeting in pro forma sessions, which means it, it's just um, uh, symbolic, really. Not much business gets done. Right. But there was some hope that legislation would be crafted and, and, and pushed through. Um, but the House is in today. Some people are saying the House will potentially put forward a bill and then the Senate will have to respond uh, to it. And then the president weighed in, I think, yesterday saying he was willing to have additional things added. So he doesn't want – you know, at this point, it's going to be the blame game. Who's going to get blamed right. for, for letting this program run out of money when small businesses and nonprofits needed it? And so uh, the president has come out and said, essentially, whatever we have to do to get this done, you know, within reason, let's get it done. Let's get it funded. So we'll see what happens. Um, I think he'd be okay with some of the Democratic's priorities, the Democratic Party's priorities, uh, but not all of them, obviously. And so there's probably a lot of behind-the-scenes uh, conversations happening. Have we heard any stories about AACS Ministries applying for these SBA loans? Yeah, we sure have. Um, and generally, it's been positive. Our ministries have um, taken – um, the information that we've provided, and they've given us some feedback. We've gotten feedback from from several schools, and we encourage you again. By the way, uh, give us feedback. It helps us as we craft our messaging here. It helps us to uh, tell stories. Uh, so much of what happens in DC is on the basis of compelling stories, and uh, sometimes we're people of principle, which we ought to be. That can't ever change, but. Stories help illustrate the principle. And so if you've got a story about, you know, your interaction with the Paycheck Protection Program or any of these other programs, let us know. But the stories we're hearing are generally positive. The ministries that have applied have uh, found uh, capable bankers for the most part. <laughs> And it does seem like community banks and smaller banks and local banks are more responsive to our our people. Yes. Uh, we've not heard <laughs> we've not heard good uh, stories about Wells Fargo. Um, there just seems to be a, a general um, flavor or general impression that Wells Fargo's not done a very good job uh, administrating the SBA loans, but small banks seem to have. I, I can I can speak to that, Jameson. I have several friends uh, locally here where I live in Texas who are bankers, 
They're working 12 hours a day, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, working hard for small businesses to get these done. And they're bending over backwards. And uh, I know of a couple of schools that have applied uh, here. And again, no, we're, we're providing information, right? We're not recommending you do or don't apply. Right. But I know that from the banking perspective, um, these in their smaller banks, some of them are local banks or, or maybe banks in our generally in our state or in our region are working very hard for small businesses. So it's, it's been really encouraging to see and they're working hard. Yeah, there's still a, a, and that's good. And, and again, that mirrors generally what we're hearing. Um, but there's still some questions out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had one ministry that was told they had to sign the standard uh, Small Business Administration non-discrimination policy, mm-hmm. which, of course, our ministries have some religious exemptions. To. Right. And so, you know, maybe some of the updated um, counsel we would give people is to just be really careful as you look over those forms, make sure they're using the current forms for the CARES Act. Uh, don't sign anything you're uncomfortable with if you move forward with the process. Um, make sure that um, they, they understand from their SBA regional um, people, um, because the SBA is divided up into region, what the religious liberty protections are um, in, in the regulation and the interim guidances, because that's, you know, really important to our ministries. We're, um, we're still fighting. You know, we talked about the plus up program. We're still advocating for religious liberty protections to be put in the statute, the CARES Act statute. Right. Um, it's been a really hard uphill battle because uh, I guess I would characterize it like this. The people that we talk to are, are kind of like, aren't you just being nitpicky? Listen, right. we're trying to get this money out and we're trying to help people. And here you are talking about my, sometimes what feels like minutia about right. um, exemptions to certain civil rights provisions, updating of language that is just old. It doesn't account for recent Supreme Court decisions, et cetera, et cetera. We keep advocating for it, but we do get a little bit of, uh, you know, an eye roll and the feeling that we're trying to make a special pleading. Like we just want something for ourselves. Right. And so we're having to really explain that this is a really important constitutional priority. Mm-hmm. It's a First Amendment priority. And if they're going to use an existing program that's unfamiliar with, um, how religious organizations need to operate based on their constitutional First Amendment rights, then um, then it's an important thing to have happen. So yeah, and that that underscores the point, Jamison, too, that we're we're recommending that our ministries only use the funds if they participate for payroll. Um, yeah, that that they put it into a separate account and that they keep meticulous records, paying attention to anything they sign. Right. Dot all the I's, cross all the T's. Very important. Again, if ministries participate to follow those, follow some of those yeah. guidelines. Yeah, that's the best advice of those religious liberty experts that I talked about earlier and the people that have uh, seen how uh, the federal government operates. Um, if you've ever dealt with anybody that's dealt with FEMA, you've probably heard them talk about the clawback provisions. And that is if you get any sort of federal disaster aid, or money um, because of um, disaster-type circumstances. The federal government can be notorious for after-the-effect accounting. (laughs) 
and uh, they they claw back the money sometimes if you haven't used it according to the provisions right or or if they've made uh, you know accounting errors and things like that so we're just encouraging our people to be very diligent about how they keep records how they use the funds make sure they understand the paperwork that they're signing the implications and obligations and then also um you know just just you know, keep good, good records, I guess, meticulous yeah. records, keep and that if, money segregated. And if people have not applied, but they think they're going to, if a ministry is out there, uh, what would you, what would you recommend they do? Yeah. What we're hearing is because it seems like eventually some compromise will be struck on the plus up program, that there'll be another, um, large amount of, you know, we're talking about you know, billions of dollars. And even in DC that you're starting to talk about real money when you start saying billions Mm. of funding for this program and the ministries that have applied are going to get funded first. So it's kind of like being at the queue um, at the grocery store. You know, if you're in line, you're going to get to the register first. Yeah. And so we're encouraging ministries, even though, you may have heard the the funds have been depleted or you've been told by your bank the funds are depleted. Still fill out the paperwork, get in line, make sure that you are connected with your bank, letting them know that um, when and if, and I think it's more when rather than if, more funding's available that you want to participate. Yeah. Well, I think we need to kind of wrap things up, put a bow on this podcast, but uh, what closing thoughts do you have for us? This has been a good kind of little bit of background about what the office does, a little update on the CARES Act, but what closing thoughts do you have for us as we wind it down today? Yeah, this came up in a meeting yesterday, so I'll mention it again, and this was with those uh, the legal scholars and the representatives from different faith-based institutions um, as well as uh, just some some um, people that work on messaging and communication. And I think the eminent domain example is really fitting. Um, we were all working through kind of some of the philosophical and theological implications of a program like this. And I shared this, I think, in our last um, podcast. But for me, Philosophically, I I don't know if I were uh, the administrator of a school or responsible for a state association. I don't know if I would choose to participate. Um, I'm I'm in some ways glad I don't have to make that decision. But as I thought through kind of my philosophical position on it, I think the most relevant parallel illustration would be one of eminent domain. Um, None of our ministries would be thinking that they were entangling themselves in a government program if their community came and said, listen, we need to create an easement because we have to widen this road, and and so we want to buy a portion of your property. Um, We're going to build a a hospital, what might be a good illustration, and we need access, and so we've got to cut across the back part of your property in order to put this hospital in for the community, and we're going to pay you for that property. Uh, because we understand when the government takes something for a legitimate need in society, that government pays for that. And I really think that government has taken one of the the primary properties we all own, and that's our labor. Um, again, Madison, brilliant uh, author of, of much of the Constitution, says uh, in his essay on property that 
Um, a person has a most valuable property in his religious opinions and the work, the, the actual productivity that he chooses as his vocation. Those are important properties. And the government's taken that property from us. And so I think the, the, especially the Paycheck Protection Act is more akin to a use of eminent domain than it is a stimulus program or a government trying to shape behavior by paying for something. So um, I would encourage people to pray and consider um, their participation in it. The reason why we encourage our people to just use it for paycheck is so that you don't involve um, your mortgage or your long-term leases and some of the potential regulatory strings that might come with that money. But also, that's what the act called the Paycheck Protection Act. Our ministries can function as a pass-through of sorts in order to make sure that our families and, and the people that provide through their labor, teachers, pastors, counselors, those positions in our schools can have a paycheck. So keep in touch with us. Let us know what's happening with you, um, uh, what your stories are. We do use those uh, on Capitol Hills. We advocate for our schools. Yes. Well, this has been a good update, and I want to thank our listeners for uh, joining us for this episode of AACS today. And uh, we'll continue to tackle some of those big questions, the big issues that our school leaders are wrestling with as we're living through a time that we've said over and over again is certainly unprecedented. But together, by God's grace, we will get through this, and our schools will continue to thrive through this. So don't forget, if you haven't yet subscribed to do so, share the podcast with others who might find it helpful. That would be great as we get the word out and uh, seek to bring valuable information to you and to our school. So thanks for joining us. Have a great day and God bless.